Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? This is Michael Opoku, the host of Not Your Father's Podcast, the podcast for people who don't listen to podcasts. And you're listening to History Goes Bump. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 212th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are bringing you Preston Castle. This was suggested to us by our listener, Pam Ennis, and she will be joining us in a bit to share the history and some of her personal experiences that she's had at Preston Castle. We just got back from checking out the Dade Battlefield Historic Site. Denise, what'd you think about that other than you melted? Besides it being hot, it was very interesting. I had no idea that the Second Seminole War was that close to our home. And not only that, but we spoke with a ranger there for probably almost 30 minutes, and he shared the details about that battle, and he let us know that the Second Seminole War was the longest Indian war of all of them. No, and that that was very interesting, too, because I'd never really heard of it. No, and to think that we've lived here for 10 years, and less than an hour away, we had a battlefield and had never visited. It was... Interesting. And of course, they had people who were buried there, but there was no cemetery. It was just they had thrown them into mass graves, and then they dug them all up later on and reinterred them up in St. Augustine. We made a live video while we were out there on Facebook. So if you check out our History Goes Bump page, you can see that there. We did, of course, ask the ranger who had been working there for about a year. His name was Kevin. If he had experienced anything strange, and he said he doesn't give much stock to that kind of stuff. But no, he had never experienced anything weird. But we have heard that there are some hauntings going on there. So we'll just continue to pursue that. Maybe we'll go up there again and take our little recorder and walk around the battlefield and see what we get. Yes, that would be very cool. Denise, the Spooktacular crew has been having a huge influx yet again for this episode. So are you ready to welcome a bunch of people? I am always ready to welcome a bunch of people. And we just want to thank all of our Spooktacular crew for you guys being so welcoming. And you just keep, it doesn't matter how many are coming in, you keep going over and welcoming everybody. And we really appreciate that. And you've been posting some fabulous stuff and pictures in the Spooktacular crew. Lots of cemetery pictures. Thank you to Tammy and Kim for those. And Rhonda went out to a small cemetery this last week. It was like cemetery day in the Spook crew. And then Heather went with Deanna and Rachel, and they did a ghost hunt the other night and took pictures. It looked like they had a lot of fun, and she said they had some experiences, so we're going to have to twist some arms and find out what those were. Yes, so uh, thank you, ladies, for tempting the spirits. And I think it's so cool that we've brought people together who become friends and go out and do things of the spooky nature together. That's just, I think it's so cool that our podcast has helped bring people together that way. Uh, Because not too long ago, we might have mentioned it on here too, is Angie and Rhonda went and did some ghost touring together. That is correct. We also were interviewed over on the Big Seance podcast with Patrick Keller, and that is up. So if you search over on the Big Seance on iTunes or Google Play or anywhere you pick up your podcast, you will find us there. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Veronica. Hey, Veronica. Allison. Hi, Allison. Colleen. Hey, Colleen. Mark. Hello, Mark. Dan. Hi, Dan. Melissa. Hey, Melissa. Terry with an I. Hey, Terry with an I. Hajra. I hope I said that right. Hello, Hajra. Kim. Hey, Kim. Tara. Hello, Tara. And we have another Tara, too. And hello, another Tara, too. (laughs) So we have two of them this week. Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Leslie. Hey, Leslie. Lena. Hello, Lena. Anna with only one N. Hello, Anna with only one N. Brooke with an E at the end. Hey, Brooke with an E at the end. And Denise, she said that she was like a fish, just slapped some scales on her and that she was hooked. 
to our podcast. So yes, thank you for the visual as well. <laughs> Cindy? Hey, Cindy. Esther. Hello, Esther. Kit. I think that's how you say it. I hope I said it right. It's K-H-I-T. So hello, Kit. Vincent. Hi, Vincent. Gil with one L. Hello, Gil with one L. Joanna. Hello, Joanna. Christine. Hey, Christine. Leandra. Hi, Leandra. And Nick. Hello, Nick. And now, this moment naughty. Taos, New Mexico is nestled in the middle of the Sangre de Cristo mountain range. The city has a long history that is culturally and spiritually rich. Many claim that the town itself is quite mystical, and one of the features that backs up this claim is a phenomenon known as the Taos hum. Some even call this the mountain song. Ancient lore from the area claims that the land itself is creating the sound as a way to reset the pattern of harmony like a harmonic convergence. Waterfalls cascade down the peak of El Salto, and tribal peoples have considered it to be a holy mountain, offering its singing waters. Caves behind the waterfalls catch the noise of the cascading water and then echo that sound. A famous healer known as Giovanni Maria Agostini Hustaniani visited El Santo in the 1800s, and he wrote that he heard the singing waters of the mountain, and this included seven distinct notes on the musical scale. Only about 2% of the population can detect the low-frequency humming sounds, and for those who don't believe that the mountain is singing, there are a variety of explanations put forward that include it being residue from secret experiments at nearby Los Alamos, New Mexico, electromagnetic vibrations emitted by Taos Mountain, alien spacecraft, or top-secret military planes. Whatever is causing it, people who can hear it either claim that it gives them peace or drives them nuts by disturbing sleep and causing headaches and nosebleeds. In 1993, some of the most prestigious research institutes in the nation sent scientists to figure out what was causing the noise. Despite all those big brains and state-of-the-art equipment, they were unable to find the source of the noise, and that certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. month of July on the 16th in 1862, Ida B. Wells was born to slaves in Holly Springs, Mississippi. Wells was a fearless anti-lynching crusader, suffragist, women's rights advocate, journalist, and speaker. When she was only 14 years old, her parents and a sibling were killed by a yellow fever epidemic. She took over responsibility for raising her remaining five siblings by becoming a teacher. She managed to attend Russ College and she moved to Memphis to help an aunt finish raising her youngest sisters. It would be in the city of Memphis where her fight for gender and racial justice would begin, and the scene would be aboard a train. Long before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus, Ida did so on a train in 1884. Plessy v. Ferguson had not yet happened, but racial segregation was already taking place. And even though the Civil Rights Act became law in 1875 and banned discrimination on the basis of race, creed, or color in theaters, hotels, and public transportation, railroad companies were racially segregating their cars. Wells was sitting in the lady's car when a white man came up to her and demanded that she give her seat to him. She refused, so the conductor came and told her to move to the crowded smoking car, which was where black passengers were forced to ride. Wells describes what happened in her own words. I refused, saying that the forward car closest to the locomotive was a smoker, and as I was in the lady's car, I proposed to stay. The conductor tried to drag me out of the seat, but the moment he caught hold of my arm, I fastened my teeth in the back of his hand. I'd braced my feet against the seat in front and was holding to the back, and as he had already been badly bitten, he didn't try it again by himself. He went forward and got the baggage man and another man to help him, and of course they succeeded in dragging me out. Wells was kicked off the train, and she hired an attorney to sue the railroad. She won at first, but an appeal at the Supreme Court overturned the ruling. After that, she worked tirelessly to overturn injustices against women and people of color. She died on March 25, 1931, and is buried at Oakwood Cemetery in Chicago. 
perched on a hill above the town of Ione in California, is a menacing and haunting castle-like structure that once was a reform school. The Preston Castle was an ambitious plan to get juvenile delinquents to become contributing members of the community. But as was the case with so many of these types of places that were built in the late 1800s and ran through the early 1900s, abuse, overcrowding, and death were commonplace. The emotional residue of this location seems to have led to haunting experiences. Pam Innes, case manager for Pacific Coast Spirit Watch, joins us to share the history and some of her paranormal experiences at Preston Castle. This area was inhabited by the Sierra Miwok people originally. They are a hunter-gatherer group that are known for their basket construction. Coyote is their ancestor and creator god, and the Miwok are said to have the most extensive record of legends and myths of all Native peoples in California. So I sure would love to meet one of them so I could get a hold of some of those legends and myths. Ion was founded when the gold rush brought miners and explorers to California. The town became a supply center and miners dubbed it Bedbug. Hope it wasn't for the reason that we might think it would be named that. I was like, oh, that's a lovely name. No one is sure exactly how it got the name I own, but the most common tale that is told is that a prospector, Thomas Brown, named it around 1849 after one of the heroines in Edward Bulwer Lytton's drama, The Last Days of Pompeii. Even after the gold rush was over, the town continued to grow and prosper. The land where Preston Castle sits was once owned by the Ion Coal and Iron Company. They donated 100 acres of the original 230-acre parcel to the Preston School of Industry that was established by the California legislature. The rest of the land was sold for $30 per acre. The cornerstone of the main administrative building was laid on December 23, 1890. The architecture is done in the Romanesque Revival style, and sandstone bricks made at San Quentin and Folsom prisons were used in the construction. When completed, there were over 70 rooms that included dorms, a dining room, laundry, kitchen, pantry, furnace room, storerooms, reading room, library, a school room, and bathrooms. On June 13, 1894, the first wards were accepted at the Preston School of Industry, but the official open was on July 1, 1894. The next year, a water wheel called a Pelton wheel was installed and the building had electricity. The Preston School of Industry closed in 1960 and the building remained vacant and falling into disrepair until 2001. The Preston Castle Foundation received a 50-year lease for the property at that time and then ownership in 2014. The Preston Castle has also been named a California State Historical Landmark and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. During the time it was open, abuse and death occurred. Forms of punishment range from loss of privileges to isolation to starvation to public paddling and lashings. There are 17 men buried in the cemetery on the property. Most died from diseases like yellow fever and consumption, but one was shot during an escape attempt. Samuel Goines was a convicted burglar and he arrived at Preston School in July 1918. He tried to escape several times, and it was during his third attempt that Preston guard John Kelly shot Samuel in the back. A female died on the property, and her name was Anna Corbin. She was the head housekeeper, and her body was found raped and beaten to death in the basement. The Preston Castle not only looks creepy, it has some haunting stories connected to it. There are reports of slamming doors, cold spots, and full-bodied apparitions. EVPs and disembodied screams have been recorded as well. The spirit of the murdered Anna Corbin is one of the most often seen at Preston Castle. The cemetery is reputedly haunted, and much of the activity in the building are thought to be mostly residual. Well, Pam, we are so excited to have you join us again. And for people who don't remember, Pam is the case manager for Pacific Coast Spirit Watch. And she contacted us and said, just wanted to let you guys know that in June, we are going to do an investigation at Preston Castle. And this is a great location to look at because it also happens to be haunted. And we said, hey, we're going to put it on the list. And why don't you join us to talk about it? So we've got her back again to share a little bit about the history and the hauntings there. I'm happy to be back. Thanks for asking me. And this time you're not stuck on a train. (laughs) (laughs) We still talk about that. Never go over the Sierras on a train during uh, the winter. 
not a wise idea. <laughs> yeah, and through tunnels, we'd be like talking, and then all of a sudden, it's like, hello, hello. <laughs> hello? And then we, and then I had that strange guy that was sitting next to me, and oh, oh. my goodness, it was an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that when you were telling us there's this weirdo just oh, looking you know, at talking me about this place in Colorado, and my husband is trying to ignore him, and he's not letting it go, and I'm looking out the window and. <laughs> it was an adventure. I don't want to relive it, but it was an adventure. It was fun while it was happening. Well, and it was when California got all those storms and all that rain. So it was just horrible for everybody that evening. And and it's continued not quite as bad. But yeah, we've had floods and it's been an interesting year. The drought's over. <laughs> it did solve that problem. That's for sure. Well, I have to tell you, I've been looking at pictures of this Preston Castle and some places call themselves a castle, but they don't really look like one. This looks like a castle. Oh, doesn't it though? The true name of it is the Preston School of Industry. When they first built it, the idea that Mr. Preston had was that he was going to, rather than incarcerate, he was going to, he was going to rehabilitate. He was going to teach the ward a skill. And when they got out, hopefully they would be able to obtain jobs and turn their lives around. The idea behind it was an excellent idea, but as things go, things turn dark. So, Is it made out of sandstone? I believe so. What they did was a lot of the, the rock that they used in order to build Preston was milled around there. If I remember correctly, it's modeled after another, another building that's supposed to be similar to it. I can't remember the life of me what the name of that one is. As you drive to Ione, you go down this long two-lane highway, and you go, Preston is, is right next to Mule Creek Prison, which is still open. And you pass Mule Creek Prison, and all of a sudden, way up on this hill is this great big, huge castle-like building. There's no way you can't notice it. It likes come up, it comes up from nowhere. And it really looks ominous, even in the daytime. Well, it's an absolutely beautiful structure. If I was going to, to prison, it would be like, oh, wow, I'm going here instead. So, Well, it, the problem is, is looks can be very deceiving. And for all its beauty, the history of Preston is not necessarily a good one, because there were many deaths that have no true explanation for them. There are stories of wards being tortured. It was a grand experiment that somewhere down the line went wrong. It always amazes me when we look back at these old prisons, how often so many of them, their real purpose was to rehabilitate. And yet when you look at what was going on in them, it was amazing. It's like, how did we think that rehabilitating a prisoner is beating them, starving them, torturing them in various ways? It, that just definitely does not work. I don't know that pampering does either, but I think there's got to be a happy medium there. And it seems like so many of these old prisons kind of missed that point. Well, you know, at one point they had a military structure that was working. They changed superintendents. And as they changed those superintendents, things changed. At one point, Preston had, uh, and the School of Industry had had a bakery. Some of the wards actually built the buildings around the big structure. They built an administration building. They built a church, which is just off the property. They had an industrial building where the bakers, they had, they sewed their own um, uniform. They, um, they learned masonry. They learned plumbing. They learned carpentry. Um, they learned printing. They actually, at one point, were printing um, a monthly sort of like a little booklet that told you everything that was going on, at, um, everything nice that was going on at Preston Castle. And so they did have a structure and they were at one point teaching them a trade, but then things started going wrong. Hey, Billy, why don't we tell them what we're about, man? So we're here to welcome you to the Madhouse Chronicles. It's a talk show with myself, Billy Morrison, and, and the Ozzy this man, Prince of Darkness, and we watch and react to the maddest internet clips. What do we discuss, Ozzy? Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, all that kind of shit. Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit OsborneMediaHouse.com to get special access to... to Come on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> How many floors is the building, the main building there? 
the actual, I think there are five floors, not including the, tur- the turret, which is way up at the top. When they closed it down, nobody took it over. They just left it sitting there. And people from my own and even as far away as Sacramento scavenged things from the castle. They ripped out masonry. They took out some of the of crown molding, double doors, and they just left it there to decay. The uh, Preston Foundation started uh, looking into taking uh, taking it over, and eventually they got a, I believe it's a somewhere in the neighborhood of a 99-year lease for five dollars. Wow, <laughs> that's a good price. But the, the 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 negative part about that is the building at that point has fallen into into decay. And so there are places where they haven't walled off because you can look down and see all the way down to the basement. Oh, wow. And you're only allowed to go up to the third floor because when they built it, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have fire access. And so nobody's allowed to go up on those upper floors because A, the danger because of the floors or, you know, the floors are decaying and because there's no actual way in which to be able to get out of the castle should there be a fire up on those floors. Well, we were going to ask you what state it was in because what we'd seen was almost for 40 years that this had just sat in disrepair. So we were wondering how much had been refurbished and it sounds like it's a real slow process. It's an extremely slow process, but I give credit to uh, the foundation. They're doing their best to try and raise money and get people informed about the history of the castle. Not necessarily all the negatives, obviously. They're doing an excellent job. At uh, Halloween time, they do the Halloween haunt. It's like a haunted house that people and volunteers dress up and you can actually take tours. Ooh, that now, sounds you know, like fun. Yeah. Is it more of a, like it's, a jump scare, a jump scare type Halloween tour? Or is it like uh, actors and then you're going through and learning the history? Well, no, it's, a, it's like a jump scare. <laughs> And that they get the volunteers to dress up and they take from looking at the castle, you can tell it looks very ominous. You can only imagine what it's like when the sun goes down <laughs> because there's not a lot of lights in there. And so you have these huge rooms that have like a big dining room area in there. And they've got, you know, skeletons standing here and there. And and it, it's one of the fundraisers that they do throughout the year. They do wine tastings there and different types of things in order to try to raise money so that they can continue to hopefully restore the castle. Now, do they offer historic tours of it during the rest of the year? Or is that just a special thing for October? Well, no, you can actually go there. They have specific days that you can go and visit and take day tours. They'll take you around the grounds and show you the different areas. And then they will take you into the castle, uh, down to the basement area, the first floor, and then the second floor where some of the wards used to sleep. And there's also, I believe, a replica of the apartment where some of the staff used to live. Well, very cool. So you can kind of see what it looked like back in the day. Yeah. That would definitely be more my style. I don't like jump scares because I... <laughs> I definitely jump. <laughs> oh, yeah. You uh, you definitely would want to visit that during the day. If, even if it's not a jump scare, going to Preston at night can be interesting to say the least. So when you guys go in there to do a paranormal investigation, did you say for the whole night? We started setting up about 7 o'clock at night, and we stayed until about 3 o'clock in the morning. So you, you bagged out right before the witching hour there. <laughs> <laughs> It's about three or four o'clock in the morning. Uh, you're starting to get pretty tired. I can imagine. And, and I don't know if there's really a witching hour. I've never found that between three and four o'clock or two and three o'clock that things start to hop more than they do any other time. Well, you know, we've joked about it's, the fact that ghosts, they'll show up. At, they don't know. They don't really know time. And so even when they turn <laughs> out the lights and stuff, we're like, do you really think that that's what makes them go, oh, we should start haunting now. It's dark out or it's just the right time of day. They're, they can haunt any time, any amount of light. They don't really care. Oh, yeah. We've got uh, we've went on investigations during the day and, and gotten excellent uh, evidence and uh, nothing at night. I always like to tell people that paranormal investigations like fishing. You can cast your line. Sometimes you don't get anything and sometimes you do. It's just the luck of the draw. And it's got nothing to do with the time that you're looking. It's just whether or not they're in the mood to be to interact with you. So how many of you were there in this uh, June investigation that you did? We had uh, 10, 10 people. 
Wow, so you were able to kind of spread out and really get a good feel for the building. Yeah, we split up to, I think it was groups of three plus a docent. And so uh, what we did is we would split floors. So one group would be on the basement floor, then next one on the first floor, and then the next one would be on the second floor. And what all kinds of equipment did you have with us? Were you running video and trying to get EVPs and stuff? We had our digital, we had digital recorders. We also had, uh, we have an obelisk that my daughter loves to use. It's an electronic device that is supposed to pick up uh, words from uh, spirit. And sometimes you'll look at it and go, okay, that makes absolutely no sense. And then other times the words that come out are just too, there's no way it could have been a coincidence. When you're standing in the middle of Preston Castle and it says prison or it says beat or it's, you know, or it's Mm -hmm. something that you know is. But we also, we set up, I use security IR cameras and we set those up on tripods and we had them on all three floors along with the regular IR cameras. One of uh, the docents brought a box that I've, I've only seen it once, and it was on Paranormal Lockdown, and it's like a remake of a Frank's box, which is a spirit box, except it looks like an old radio. I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember seeing one of the episodes they did with that, and that thing sounds creepy as hell when it picks up stuff. Oh, yeah, the tinny sort of voice that comes through it just sends chills down your spine. It's, it's uh, <laughs> I'd never seen one before. And now I really want one, which is not music to my husband's ears. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're not, not exactly inexpensive. He, yeah, he looks at me and he says, what are we getting in the mail now? Because <laughs> I just... So I do have to ask, did you use a laser grid at all? We did, but I didn't have any luck with it. But it sure the looked pretty, huh? Oh, it does. It looks it looks absolutely lovely. The <laughs> problem was that in Preston Castle, you've got bats. Oh, and that would be a problem. A oh, my gosh. That would be so <laughs> cool. No, Denise, that would not be cool. All, all of a sudden, you see, I, I'm looking, and all of a sudden, this bat just goes, and I'm, okay, uh, that was fun. You're looking to see if you're going to see anything while you're also trying to make sure that you don't become uh, a hare for a bat nest. I don't know, though. A bat flying through a laser grid, that would be pretty cool. You know, you've got the laser grid, and then all of a sudden something with wings comes flying by. You have a tendency to sort of look and go, okay. Based on people's personal feelings, what did they feel when they were there? Did anything reach out and touch anybody? Did you get any EVPs, anything? I mean, obviously (laughs) you got some, some words on the Ovilus, but what else happened? One of the things that we did was I always like to make sure that I research things before I go so that um, I can get names and maybe I can say somebody's name and hopefully I'll get a reaction from them. I also had went through, there's an, an investigative author and her name is Jamie Rubio and she wrote a book. It's called Behind the Walls and it's an investigative piece on Preston Castle. What happened was we were down in the kitchen area. The story goes that Anna Corbin was a uh, housekeeper and she was murdered there. And they found her body over in a storage area, which used to be, it was like a delousing pool. It looks like a pool, but they used to put them in there and spray them down before they would let them mingle with the rest of the ward. They found her in a corner wrapped in a carpet. Back in 1950, when this happened, they generally didn't share if there was anything of a sexual nature that had happened. And that had happened to Anna as well. We were sitting in the kitchen, which is directly across from that area, and we were doing what's uh, what's called an EVP burst session. And what you do is you turn on your digital recorder and you ask questions. And then you play it, you roll it back and see if you got anything. Jackie Cleve is one of our members, and Anthony Anderson was in there with me as well and one of the docents. We rolled the digital recorder back, and clear as a bell, you hear a man say, rape. Wow. Rape them. And I looked over at Jackie and I went, that's disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was, that was unexpected. We were sitting there and you got some, we got a few chuckles, like a laughter, but that was that for that particular session. We were upstairs in what's called Company B and it's, uh, there's some beds up there and we had placed a chair in there and I had also placed one of our IR security cameras in there. The rest of us 
were wandering around where the apartments were. We weren't in where Company B was, where the vets were, and the chair in there moved. Mm. And there was no one in there to move the chair. There's a linen closet, and what had happened was one of the wards had taken a baseball bat and beaten somebody to death with it and hid it in an alcove inside this area where the linen closet was. My daughter, Misty, and one of our team members, Orville, was up there doing an EVP session, and they had one of those little mag flashlights up there. They would ask questions, and the flashlight would come on. And then you'll say, can you turn the flashlight off for me, please? Flashlight goes off. They'd ask another question. Flashlight went on. And then my daughter said, the ovulus popped up with bats. Now, this is either going to be a flying bat or the baseball bat that the kid hid in the alcove in that area. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things where it's more than a coincidence. You're, you know, what are the odds of somebody talking about baseball bats and then having that come across through the ovulus? Sure. And even if it was referencing the bats that are there, either way, it's right. really weird to have that come across. A, it was, yeah, it's was, it was still with an association. Another part of our group was back down in the kitchen area, and there's this really old stove, and it's got to be from, it's earlier than 1950, and it's, it's one of those really solid ones where things are not going to drop down on this thing easily. There's a door with an oven, and then there's the burners up on the top, and they were sitting there getting ready to do an EVP, uh, an EVP session, and the big door on the oven dropped. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, one of the people that was there with us that evening was his very first investigation. He jumped up, took off, <laughs> and when we finally broke, we were you know taking all the equipment down and we were talking. And I looked over, and he was on the phone with his girlfriend. I guess he he was uh, house sitting for his uncle, and he had called his girlfriend because she he told her he wasn't spending the night in that house by himself because he was scared. <laughs> and I I just looked at him and I said, gotcha, you did it. And he said, yeah. And I said, not coming again, are you? And he goes, oh, no, I'm in. But, poor, and, you know, it scared the heebie-jeebies out of him. We uh, got some EVPs where you'll hear a little boy giggling. And you have to remember, some of the wards that were sent there were seven, eight years old. Some of them weren't even criminal. They would take them there because maybe their parents just couldn't take care of them anymore. And so they'd take them, press and drop them off. Or if they had issues and the parents didn't want to deal with them, they would drop those those kids off there as well. So it wasn't only criminals that lived in Preston. Breaks your heart to think you have these little kids in there with uh, people who are don't have good intentions for them. And yeah. obviously they're not going to come out better people for having been in there. Right. Well, some of the more um, famous inmates were uh, Merle Haggard spent some time there. Oh. Uh, Roy Calhoun was there, but also Bugsy Siegel. And I don't know if you know who Gerald Gallegos is. No. But he he was a serial killer. It was here in Sacramento. He and his wife, they start, They picked up a couple that were, um, I guess they were coming out of a party in Davis. Uh, he killed the husband and raped and killed her. Picked up two girls at a mall here in Sacramento, drove them to Reno, molested them and killed them. By the time, I can't remember exactly how many people he killed, but he ended up dying in the, um, they finally caught him in Reno and he ended up being executed at the state prison in Carson City. But he spent some time at Preston? Yeah, he did. He had to have been somewhere between, I'd say, 16 and 20 when he was in Preston. Okay. So whether or not he fine-tuned his skills, I don't know. <laughs> but they did have some, in, they had some really interesting inmates there. The one I was telling you about, Anna Corbin, the wards that they arrested, they, I believe there was two hung juries. So they let him go. Later on down the line, he ended up being arrested and sentenced for murder. I think it was uh, somewhere in the, in the Midwest. He uh, killed a pregnant woman and also uh, killed another woman. So even though he had a hung jury when it came to Anna, he ended up eventually getting arrested and sentenced for two murders. Wow, that's fabulous that they didn't get him early because yeah. then he was able to go out and do that. There was a, a ward who died. He committed suicide. And the reason that they think he did it was 
he was epileptic and they didn't bother to treat him. And at the point where he was in Preston, there were drugs available to treat his seizures. He was bullied and the superintendent, because he would get out of line, would put him in solitary confinement. And they think what happened was after being bullied so much and constantly being put in solitary confinement that he hung himself because he just couldn't take it anymore. Well, and it makes you wonder if his quote-unquote acting out was a seizure. Well, that's what they were saying was that that he was epileptic, but nobody bothered to ever treat it. And, you know, he's being bullied. And, and from the accounts I've read, he was not only being bullied by the wards, but he was also being bullied by the guards. Mm. And so he probably felt that there was no option. So, it, you know, overall, Preston was a really, really sad place. I don't remember feeling anything ominous, but then at the same time, you're sitting in a room where you know that a a woman had been beaten and then her body dumped across the hall. You're going to feel some tension. Mm -hmm. And then to have play that that recording back and to have them say that rape, rape them. it, It was unsettling. (laughs) <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, it's a good thing you're a spirit, because otherwise I might be concerned here. But it was, you know, you're sitting in, in, a, in a dark room, and you play something like that back, and it was clear as a bell. Mm. And the thing, I think, was that just prior to that, I had said, Anna, are you here? I know what happened. I know what happened to you, and I'm sorry. Nobody deserved that. And it was right. it was right after that that we heard... Rape, rape them. Wow. This might be kind of a bizarre question, and I've never really heard it come up, but I know people have been physically hurt before, like scratched and stuff like that. Do you know, to your knowledge, has anybody ever been assaulted in a sexual way by a spirit? I have a friend that was a docent. I'm trying to be as tactful as possible because I'm not going to say where she was a docent and I'm not going to share her name. But what happened was she had been a docent in this place for years and years and years. And she brought home a less than friendly spirit and she had been assaulted. She actually shown me um, a video. She placed a video camera in her room and you could see some shadow as she was sleeping, walking across the room and she um, had went to a priest and tried to get and tried to get the um, the entity exercised. They went through and, and degladed anything that they thought could be stirring it up. And it took a little while, but things have um, things have quieted down. It, everything hasn't gone completely back to normal, but at least she's no longer being physically assaulted. Well, I'm glad that you answered that question because it almost seems like it's become a joke with like celebrities saying I had sex with a ghost these days. And, you know, every other month there's one come forward that says, Oh, I had sex with a ghost and people kind of laugh about it and stuff. But I've heard those same stories that there are some that do. I mean, we know there's these demons that are known as succubus and incubus that do do that kind of thing. So, and it's, you know, um, I don't understand why people are so interested in, I would, I'd venture a guess and say that if it had really happened to you, you're not going to, A, want to share it with the world, and B, you're not going to be laughing about it. Exactly. That would be my thinking. Because that would be a frightening aspect. I mean, something that, has, that you cannot see is assaulting you. How do you fight back? Well, exactly, because physical, I mean, I've, you know, this is kind of getting darker and heavy, but physically i've worked with victims that was a physical human being and just the amount of fear and shame and feeling unsafe that goes with that i can't imagine it would be almost tenfold if you have no way to protect yourself from that you know it's not like you can hit them or shoot them or do something physically to stop them if it's a spirit so to me that would be absolutely terrifying beyond what i can even imagine and it's like you said You've got a physical person there. You put, you can attach a face to whatever it is that's hurting you. But when it's something of a spirit nature, you can't see it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't, and how do you protect yourself? You can't exactly lock the door. No. And so I, I, sometimes I, you know, the celebrity thing can get a little out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> we, when we do an investigation, 
we make it a practice to, before we go in, we do a circle and we do a prayer. You pray to whatever entity, God, what, you know, whoever it is that is your higher power. And you ask them to protect you and guide you and be there with you. And then when we finish, be it Preston or my backyard, what we would do is we also go into a circle, we do a prayer, and then we say, you are not allowed, this is your home. You are not allowed to follow us home. You do not have permission to come with us because we want to make, we want to make those barriers, those boundaries so that, because people, I've seen people in investigations and I've chastised them many times. Never look at, never say, oh yeah, you can come home with me. You don't know who you're talking to. You mm-hmm. don't know what you're talking to. Exactly. You need to you need to remember that, you know, maybe right now it's being nice, but maybe something's trying to 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 lure you in. Well, some people you probably people might think we're a little silly, but even when we do just a simple ghost tour, when we get in the car to leave, we usually say a quick little prayer and make an announcement that if there was anything there that seemed attracted to us in any way, maybe you want to hang out with us. We seem like fun. You are not welcome to come with us. You have to stay here. And so we even do that just in case we've oh, gotcha. opened up anything. That's, that, that's you know, you uh, always have to err on the side of caution. You lock your car when you get out of it. When you get home, you lock your doors and you make sure your windows are secure. This is the same thing. You need to do. You need to make sure that you take all the precautions so that you don't end up bringing something home that you weren't planning on. Out at Preston Castle, I read somewhere that there's a cemetery out there that they buried some of the inmates in. Is that true? Do you know? Yes, but it's difficult to get access to. The uh, Preston uh, Cemetery, the foundation owns the, owns the castle. Directly behind the castle is the Preston Youth Authority which is now closed down. And part of that land is owned by the, Calif- uh, the Department of Forestry's Academy. The catch is, is the academy backs up to Mule Creek Prison. So when you try to get access for that, you have to go through the CDC. You have to get in contact with the, department, with the California Department of Correction. And then they get their lawyers together and they fill out the paperwork and then you sign all the paperwork. And I tried to do that this last time and it took me so long to just find out who it was I needed to talk to that by the time I found it out I couldn't get access to the cemetery but I'm hoping that on our next investigation now that I know what I have what hooks I have to jump through that we'll be able to do it but there's I think there's 20 20 boys buried out on, at the Preston Cemetery and apparently some of them are a little restless from what I've seen as there's, you know, the <laughs> typical cold spots and things out there. So it might be interesting oh, yeah. to check out. <laughs> but I have a feeling that you're going to not, well, you might be interested in doing it, but I have a feeling that your your partner in crime is not going to want to do it at night. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can I can already <laughs> answer that one for you. Yes, because you never it's ever a- tempt the spirits, especially <laughs> when they're restless like that. The first time I went in there, you know, because it is such a an ominous location, I found myself, and and as you know, I'm a guide on the Hornet. And so I'm, I'm walking through hallways and stuff with, Lord knows how many ghosts are in that in the ship. I was walking through Preston and I'm doing the looking over my shoulder and looking down the hall. The first time was really, really, it was scary for me. Now it's, I'm still, I'm cautious but I'm not as scared as I was before. If um, your listeners are really interested in learning more about Preston Castle, they should go on, it's a, it's a blog called Dreaming Casually, and that's uh, Jamie Rubio's blog. And she's, um, she's been investigating Preston for years and years and years. And in October, she's getting ready to release another book that is in reference to Preston Castle and more information that she's found out. The castle itself, if they if they have an opportunity, if they don't want to go um, at night, they should get in, uh, go on the website for the uh, Preston Foundation and see when the tours are, and also all the events they have the you know the wine tastings and and films and all sorts of different types of things in order to work on restoring the castle because it, it it's going to take a lot of work, but it is an 
absolutely phenomenal piece of history. Pam, I want to thank you for suggesting this to us and for joining us to tell us your experiences there and what the place looks like and all that good stuff. Okay, you guys have a wonderful Saturday evening because it's getting, what, about 10 o'clock your time? It is, yep. And I will talk to you ladies soon. All right, you take care. Bye-bye. You too, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Preston Castle has a bleak history that has left a cyclical residue that seems to feed the supernatural. Or is it just human nature for us to enter a dark and old building and feel as though the spirits are at unrest? Is Preston Castle haunted? That is for you to decide. It's a beautiful building, but yeah, it definitely looks very ominous. And looking at the outside of the building, it doesn't give you that kind of They wanted the boys to feel like they were at home, and it doesn't really look like home. No, it doesn't look like home, but it is a beautiful, beautiful building. Well, that was great having Pam join us again, and uh, she always has great things to share with experiences that they've had and such. I agree. On our next episode, we have a location that was suggested to us in New York, and that is another one of our colleges that are haunted. This is Manhattanville College, and we are going to be joined by the listener who suggested it to us, Bailey Pollock, and she has some interesting experiences to share that she had there. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you guys. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did receive an email from Maya. I'm not particularly interested in history, and I'm only slightly more interested in stories about the supernatural. Frankly, I don't even remember how I came to listen to your podcast. It doesn't matter. I was hooked on my first listen, and now I can't get enough. The two of you have one of the most interesting, informative, entertaining podcasts out today. I like the way you are half skeptical, half believing, but always leaving it up to the listener. I don't know how long the two of you have been together, but you banter back and forth like an old married couple, and it's hilarious. Wishing the two of you all the best and looking forward to the next great podcast. Denise, I love this next email that we got from Krista, and it really makes me glad that I end up going down the rabbit holes that I go down. If you will recall, we talked about the Angel of Mary's Heights in Haunted Cemeteries 2. Mm-hmm. Krista writes, I just wanted to let you ladies know that you gave me yet another smile today. I love synchronicity. I was listening to your Haunted Cemeteries 2 episode while I was working today. I was enjoying the episode as usual, but my interest was definitely piqued when you started talking about the Angel of Mary's Heights. I've heard the story before, and it was really neat to hear it shared through the HGB podcast. Robert Rowland Kirkland's story holds a special place in my heart for multiple reasons, but I can honestly thank my mother-in-law for telling me about the Angel of Mary's Heights for the first time. You see, she's a Kirkland, a descendant of the Angel of Mary's Heights. Needless to say, I've heard Robert Rowland Kirkland's inspirational story multiple times, and a write-up of his story has been framed and holds a special place in our home. Not only is my husband proud of his family heritage, but it's a great reminder for everyone who hears it of the type of person each of us should strive to be. If someone is in need, it shouldn't matter what color they wear, what side they're on, or who they are. If you are capable, you should help. I'm also excited to hear that you will be heading towards Virginia next year. I'm a local and I'm anxiously awaiting your trip dates and look forward to meeting you. Thank you for your hard work and another amazing episode. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Krista. How cool that her husband is related to him. I know that was really, really cool. Yeah, I just I wrote back to her and I was like, wow, how amazing. I just love it when stuff like that happens with the show. And we also got a comment from Edie. I enjoyed reading about Mike the Headless Chicken as I lived in Colorado for many years and have attended the festival they have in Fruta in his honor. Can you imagine Mike the Chicken has a festival in his honor? Well, hey, he went through a lot. He should have a festival. What cracks me up is we lived in Colorado, both of us, for about 30 years, and we'd never heard of Mike the Chicken or that festival. Well, there you go. So just goes to show, no matter how long you're somewhere, there's always something to find. We also occasionally get comments over at Google+. Plus. I don't hang out there quite as much, but Fang Dracula said that we are her favorite podcast and she absolutely loves it. So thank you for that, Fang Dracula. Midsummer Scream, for those of you that are near the Long Beach Convention Center, the weekend of July 29th, they're going to have all kinds of booths and it's going to be like Halloween in summer. So that'll get you your dose of Halloween, get you able to make it all the way into October. And one of our listeners who has joined us here on the podcast as well, Anna Prado-Frias is going to be there with a booth for her two of imps. So go by and say hi to her. And I, I wish we were close enough to go because I need a shot in the arm. 
Oh, that would be super cool to be able to go. And um, if you are listening to this at a later date, this is for July of 2017. And Brent made a great video at Hollywood Cemetery over in the Confederate section, and I tweeted that out to people. So hopefully you got a chance to check that out. It's also up at the Spooktacular Crew. We have a couple of reviews to share from iTunes. Denise, we just hit 400 reviews over there. Oh, very cool. That is amazing. If you guys have not given us a review yet, we sure would appreciate you going over and doing that. If you can't monetarily support the show, that helps immensely. Our first one is from DM2160, History and Haunting, five stars. One of my favorite podcasts combines two of my favorite subjects, history and ghosts, with a camaraderie that's infectious between the hosts, Diane and Denise, and their listeners. So many wonderful locations with rich history, humor, and a great perspective about whether or not some locations are truly haunted. Happy to be part of the Spooktacular crew. Well, we're happy to have you. And JT80 Irish, enjoying the progress, five stars. Hi, ladies and HGB crew. I'm a recent listener, and I will admit that I began from the beginning, yep, from your very first episode. I'm very glad that I've been able to listen how you ladies have progressed over the last two years. Like any new project, it is always rough, and while there will always be kinks in the technology. However, as time goes by, I feel that this podcast has really evolved. I like the banter and following the host into brief rabbit holes. I never know what I will learn. I look forward to listening to more podcasts. Thanks. She signed it, Erica. Thanks, Erica. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Christine Klein, Sarah Huffman, Jennifer DeLeon, Eric Edwards, and thank you to Michelle DePriest for increasing her donation. Thanks. Sweet dreams. 